So I had a great weekend. I, obviously, you all know it's Super Bowl weekend, apparently. Honestly, I didn't even remember until just a couple weeks ago, or like just a few days ago, actually. Uh, and I just saw this awesome thing online that said, uh, there happens to be a football game at the Justin Timberlake concert. Uh, and, I, and I think that could be uh, the sentiment for a lot of us, especially if you're a diehard uh, Seahawks fan. Uh, and so I'm excited. Uh, I did a wedding, so if I come off tired, if I'm just rambling, I had a long weekend, an incredible weekend. It was awesome, and it was great to see so many people from our community. I get a call on Thursday afternoon uh, that says, hey, what are, you, what are you doing on Saturday? And you know, like, what are you doing on a certain day? That's, really a, that's a scary question because you don't know what's going to happen next. So you kind of play it safe, and you say, I don't know. It, you know, you, in your mind, it's like, it kind of depends on what you're going to ask me. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, I'm free in the afternoon. And, he said, and then they said, uh, do you want to marry us? Uh, like this couple. And, and I know them, and I was like, okay. And so, uh, you know, I had 48 hours to prepare a wedding. Uh, and, and that went really well. And then that same night or the same afternoon, uh, yesterday, I changed clothes and I went to the Highland Park Elementary auction uh, and held by the PTA. Uh, Bethany is part of our church who was a big part of that. It was an incredible time to raise awareness, raise money, and to be supporting our neighbors, our families, our children uh, at this incredible event and saw so many Bethany West Seattle people. I was so proud uh, that we were there to support. Uh, and then I realized... Yeah, Bethany West Seattle loves to support and to walk alongside families and in the school, but I think the truth is they just like to party. Like last night, I didn't realize how much they partied. And, you know, there, it, it, was, it was awesome to see. I mean, there was music uh, and there was, there was dancing, even though there wasn't really dancing. Bethany made, West Seattle made sure there was dancing. Uh, it was the first time I was, I was offered these little things of jello. I was like, hey, I love jello, you know, and sorry, bad, bad joke, bad joke. Uh, and, and so all that to say is I was very proud uh, to see that our community rallied together uh, to, to make an impact uh, on the community. I'm excited to hear from Bethany what uh, the results were. I personally took home a, a $70 cake uh, from the auction. And it's the best cake I've ever had, so I don't regret it at all. Uh, and so thank you for those that showed up, and there will be other opportunities uh, for you to join us as we continue to partner with Highland Park Elementary. So as we continue uh, our series on Philippians, uh, we get to the last chapter. So we'll do uh, chapter 4 today and then the second part of chapter 4 next week. Uh, and I'm kind of sad, although we enter into the Lent season, I'm kind of sad to end the book of Philippians because, again, I say this week after week, this is one of my favorite books of the whole Bible because it's so encouraging and it's so real life and it speaks to, uh, I would say, all of us in here especially these verses that I'm about to read. So our text comes from chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 9. The word of the Lord says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, or in most other translations. Do not be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that you speak to us in real ways. And this morning as we talk about anxious, anxiousness and anxiety and worry and uncertainties, in one way or another we all have faced them, are facing them today, or will face them tomorrow. And we thank you that you have something to say to that. In your name we pray. Amen. As we enter into this text about anxiety and anxiousness and worry, uh, I came across this article by a uh, UCLA researcher, and the article says this, the USA is the most anxious nation in the world, according to a recent study, uh, with more than 18% of adults suffering from an anxiety disorder, according, uh, and they're quoting, uh, National Institute of Mental Health. Stress-related ailments are costing the nation $3 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, uh, while our prescription keeps skyrocketing. Uh, And the research continues and says just between 1997 and 2004, Americans have doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from $900 million to $2.1 billion dollars. And then it continues again and it ends like this. It says, uh, this anxious strain uh, hits us well before we reach college. As psychologist Robert Leahy points out, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. That's incredible. And, And so it seems to me that the question isn't, Will you ever experience a sense of anxiety? The question isn't will you, because the reality is, it's not will you, it's when. When you experience a sense of anxiety, how will you handle it? What route and what avenue will you do uh, to make sure that the anxiety that you have does not overwhelm your life? Doesn't take part and hold on to you. I mean, have you ever felt anxiety? And you don't have to say this out loud or respond. Have you ever felt anxiety? Maybe it's over relationships. Maybe it's over family, money, career, children. And whatever it is, the answer is probably yes. I know for sure the answer is yes for me. Have you ever experienced a sense of anxiety? And then the next question is, if we assume that the answer is yes, the next question is, how have you handled it? Or how do you handle it? You know, maybe it's through avoidance. Maybe it's working harder and harder doing something or anything else to create an environment where you can be immune from the problems uh, and the uncertainties around you. Maybe it's through uh, cynicism or hopelessness, choosing not to care, developing a sense of uh, apathy or detachment or or a sense of hopelessness like, I'm not going to mess with this part of my life because I know that nothing can be done about it. 
Or maybe it's through distractions or substances or, or, or whatever devices that you might have. Because if you're anything like me, we've chosen one of these methods in response to anxiety that we've felt and experienced in our lives. And the problem with these methods that I know firsthand is that the buzz wears off. The vacation always ends. The joy and the luminescence of magical devices always wears out. The football game uh, always ends, or the, the, the Netflix binge-watching shows will always come to an end. Uh, and w- I tell you what, when parenthood ended, that was so sad. But whatever that keeps you distracted, the whatever that thing is that, that puts a blind eye, that makes you look away from whatever that thing is causing you anxiety, eventually it will go away. And the reality about anxiety and worry is this. It's not that what we're after is avoidance of pain or or avoidance of conflict or we don't necessarily long for this temporary relief or or this numbness. At the end of the day, what we all long for is a sense of peace. So when we run away from whatever is causing us to be anxious, it's not that we're just trying to avoid that. As humans, we are created to pursue peace. And not just any kind of peace, not just an absence of conflict or an absence of whatever is causing you anxiety, but a sense of peace that God calls us to have, to live life and life abundantly, and he calls it shalom. It's this Hebrew understanding of shalom, it's this peace, it's this inner peace from the inside out. Again, it's not just this absence of anxiety and conflict. God wants us to pursue and be filled with the peace that gives us life. And so many of us, we lack that sense of shalom because we're so distracted with anxiety with things that hold us down, like we talked about last week, from looking forward and running forward. What we're after is shalom, a deep, abiding inner peace. Not escape from the world around us, but stability within it. My friends, church, this morning, what Jesus offers us is exactly that. It's not just any kind of peace, but it's this shalom, this inner peace of God. And I love what Paul says in our text. Paul's uh, famous conclusion in chapter 4, he says, not just a peace, but what this peace, what this shalom does, it surpasses all understanding, where even in moments where you feel like, I should be anxious, I should be worried, I should be fearful of uncertainties or whatever this event is, When I look to God, when I look for the peace that God has to offer, something happens that transcends and surpasses all understanding. When the world around you says, man, you should be scared, you should be worried, you should be anxious about this, we come up and say, oh my gosh, for some reason, I'm not. I'm not. In in, uh, Philippians chapter 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's shalom. And one author says, shalom makes the worst times bearable and the best times leavable. 
I love that. What, what this author says about shalom is that shalom makes the, ba- the worst times bearable. Because you have that peace that no matter what the circumstances is, you have that shalom. The makes the worst times bearable and the best times believable. That no matter what you have, no matter what resume you can produce, what God has to offer is even better. That shalom is something that we long after. See so here, when Paul concludes his letter to the Philippians, his exhortation his almost imperative, his command is, do not be anxious. There's a lot of things in uh, what Paul says is, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then here we finally come to a place where he says, but do not do this, which is worry. Do not be anxious about anything, he says. He says, because there, uh, there's, even though there's everything to be anxious about, if you look at Paul's life, Again, you know, week after week, look at his story. Paul is in prison right now as he writes this letter. And even the previous chapters, while he's in prison, he's saying things like, hey, get along with one another. Love one another. Be thankful for each other. Rejoice always. This isn't just some guy off the street saying, oh, yeah, just be happy about things. Oh, yeah, just give thanks. Oh, yeah, just, uh, you know, don't worry. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's living this experience where, who has everything to worry about, who has everything to be anxious about, who has everything to be angry about, really, and he steps up and writes this letter and says, rejoice, always, no matter what your circumstances are. And, and then he says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything, but instead give thanks and present your requests to God. Yet I still read this and I say, Paul, you know, you are man of God. You are in the Bible. You wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's easy for you to say, don't be anxious, even though it really, in reality, it wasn't. He was in prison, ready to really be executed for a crime that he may or may not have committed, and that crime is spreading the gospel of Jesus. He says, do not worry. Do not have anxiety. And I read this and I say, Paul, like, that's easy for you to say. I go through this, uh, and if we all have a thorn in our flesh, the Bible talks about a thorn in our flesh, the thing that just bugs us, the thing that just kind of uh, you know, holds us down, it's probably that for me, if I'm being really transparent and honest with you guys. The thorn in my flesh is probably my navigation in wrestling with anxiety. And so I look at this, and maybe some of you guys are with me who deal with anxiety as well. Look at where it says, do not be anxious. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's easier to write. It's easier, it's easier to say. But it's not so easy in practice. It's not so easy in reality. Because the circumstances that we're dealing with, we all have different circumstances, doesn't just disappear. We can't just automatically flip the switch and say, all right, do not be anxious. Boom, I'm not anxious anymore. I wish that was the case. I wish it was that easy. But what helps is understanding what even Paul is even talking about. The word here, anxiety or worry, do not worry or do not be anxious, is this Greek word, merimnau. It's this Greek word merimnau originally in the, in the actual definition of merimnau is to be divided. I know that we have this definition of anxiety and worry. It's just this emotional thing. Uh, but Paul's saying the actual word that I'm using for anxiousness and for worrisome is this word merimnau, which means 
to be, divi- to be divided. And he says, do not be divided in your souls. And if we think about what anxiety is, anxiety seems like a division in our souls, doesn't it? That's exactly what anxiety is. Something that we can't necessarily reconcile in our heart of hearts and our minds. It's almost like a battle within us. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, our actions flow from Christ's life and teaching and resurrection sometimes. And other times, our actions flow uh, as a byproduct of circumstances in our lives. We have this mixed emotion where our hearts are divided. We want to pursue God, but we want to pursue other things. We want to love and trust God, but there's things that are happening where it causes us not to love and trust God. Our concerns are about being faithful to God and our concerns about interest rates, illness, money, war, the future, family, all things you should worry about, but not at the expense of our souls being divided, which really at the heart of it is what anxiety is, is that our hearts are divided with at the very best longing for God and whatever this may be. And the question is, what is dividing you ultimately? What what this morning is dividing your heart? And again, if you're a follower of Christ, our hearts should be fully and openly given and surrendered to Jesus. That's what we understand what it means to walk in faith with Christ. And yet, what's tugging at you? What's dividing your heart? And it's almost like this physical battle where I want to walk this way closer and closer to Christ in Christ's love, and yet I get distracted. And if you were here last week, with a rearview mirror, maybe it's circumstances, maybe it's baggage that you bring, we all do, or maybe it's concern about the future or money or family, whatever it is, we start to veer off this way. And then we go this way, back to God, and we go this way and that way. And that's what it means to have this sense of anxiety. I don't know what to do. I mean, have you ever felt like that? What is dividing you? I look back to the story of Luke, uh, in Luke, about Mary and Martha, and some of you guys may have heard about it, um, but the story goes like this. Mary and Martha are two sisters, and they're waiting for Jesus' arrival. Jesus is coming to visit Mary and Martha, and yet these two sisters, in order to welcome Jesus, have two very different approaches. Uh, when Jesus finally arrives, Martha is, Martha actually reminds me of my mom in the best way possible, uh, is, wants to make the guests feel so special. So Martha goes and cooks and cleans and makes sure that the, the living room is right, that the place setting is right, that the forks are, you know, whatever they have is in the right place. You know, everything is clean. Everything is presentable. I mean, she's just frantically going back and forth. I mean, her heart seems to be divided. Oh, my gosh, Jesus is coming. I want to talk with him. I want to learn. I want to be with him. I also want to make sure that things are right, things look good, things are clean. And so here's Martha going back and forth, and yet Mary something different. When Jesus walks in, Mary just goes straight to Jesus, sits down, and listens. And is present. And I look at that story, and it's almost a sense of relief. When I read, and maybe this is my anxiousness even speaking, and I'm projecting on the scripture, when I, when I read about Martha, my stress level goes up. Because I'm imagining exactly what's happening. And maybe you can experience that too, where she's just running back and forth. And yet when I hear the story of Martha, or of Mary, 
my heart level goes down. I almost feel a sense of peace. Because it says that as Martha was going back and forth, Mary just sat at the feet of Jesus. And oftentimes when people sit in front of their rabbi, so Jesus was a rabbi, when, when people sit in front of their rabbi, it's in order for them to learn and to receive. And that's what Mary was doing. Mary was dwelling in the presence of Jesus. And already we can see that just that dwelling lowers a sense of anxiety. I love what Jesus says in verse 10. says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love that. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will never be taken away from her. Though Martha's heart was divided, Mary was focusing simply and only on Christ. And that peace, that, that sense of relief, nothing can take away. Nothing will strip away. Nothing will get in the way. I love it. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus says. It will not be taken away from her. I believe that. And I believe that for us. When we sit in front of Christ to be with, to be fully present, to pursue, to learn about, nothing can take away what comes along with that, which is joy, peace, patience, kind of all the fruit of the Spirit. And what that does, it, it makes the worst times bearable and the best times believable. And as Paul continues in his verses, he essentially gives uh, two things that is required again. Because I go back, and this is all just talk, 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 talk. It's easy, again, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, I don't want to be anxious anymore. So when the Bible says, do not be anxious, I don't want to be anxious. Again, this is still theory from what we're grabbing from the Bible. But Paul talks about two very practical things that we can do. I'm sure there's many, many more, but in these a uh, few verses, Paul offers two suggestions. And he says what, what, uh, what peace, shalom, requires is gratitude and courage. Gratitude and courage. All over the Old Testament and even the New Testament, there's this idea of to remember. And I talk about this a lot, this idea of remember. And God says, even when you're in exile, you have everything to be anxious about. You have everything to be fearful about. Even these people that were being moved from Egypt, from slavery, into Canaan, the promised land, where it was a land filled with milk and honey, where you will prosper. In that journey, though it was tough, though it was rough, in the middle of that journey, they would say things like, man, I wish I was dead. I wish that uh, God would bring us back to Egypt. Even though we would be in slavery, at least we would know what the future holds. Uh, God, why are you doing this to us? Why are you punishing us? And, and Moses, was uh, his imperative to his people was saying, yes, I know you have things to be anxious about. Yes, I know that you have concerns about your future and what your future holds. But remember what God has already done. 
God has saved you, saved you from death in Egypt, parted the sea for you to go through. God is working in your life, and you don't see it because you're blinded by the things that are going wrong. And that's not to diminish issues and problems. Those things need to be dealt with. Those things cannot be devalued, but not at the expense of our hearts being divided and being held down by it. And so time after time in the Old Testament, uh, Moses and, the, and the, uh, the prophets even after that says, remember what God has already done. God is at work whether you know it or not. And what we know about the exile uh, or the exodus is this, is that, uh, yes, they wandered for 40 years, it says. And the reality is, if they took a straight path to, uh, to the promised land, they would have made it in two weeks. Can you believe that? If they went straight from slavery in Egypt and walked straight to uh, the promised land, to Canaan, modern-day Israel, that would have taken two weeks tops. Yet it took 40 years. It took 40 years of hunger, of pain, of destruction. And what researchers now know is that if these Israelites would have taken that straight path, they would have all been destroyed because of the military armies that were set in that direct line from Egypt to Canaan. They would have been slaughtered, all of them. In that 40 years, God was working. In your anxiety, God is working. In your circumstances, in your worrisome, God is working. Our job is to continue to pray and continue to remember the way that God has already provided for us. And I know I say this, and I know it's tough to do, but there's something about remembering what God has done in our past and how God has come and has been for us in our past that does something to our confidence moving forward to our future. Remember the things that I've done. This gratitude. I mean, don't miss it. It says, uh, uh, the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Because God is near, and God will provide. I mean, the way we see God sometimes, I think about uh, my childhood, and, and I talk about a lot, a big part of my life, and I used to have to do chores, and, and then I would get paid my allowance for doing chores. And I think about the story, and I, and I do this with God a lot, where uh, I would vacuum, you know, part of my chores was to vacuum, to do the dishes, to take out the trash, and I would spend some good time on cleaning and dusting and doing everything. And my parents would come in. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I crushed it. Like, man, there's not a spick of dust. The dishes are clean. Uh, my clothes are put away uh, or hidden under the, under the bed. But either way, they won't be able to see it. And, you know, to my surprise, the response is very different. It's not the way it went in my head. The response is, oh, yeah, but you missed a spot right there. Oh, and, and, you know, and maybe you've experienced this too, maybe with teachers, maybe with your own family, maybe with, with your friends, where you think and you say, man, I have done 20 things I think really well, so clean, so awesome, so great, and yet you come in and you look at that one thing 
that one thing, and it apparently it just ruins the whole experience. Apparently, all nine other things that I did uh, is devalidated or diminished or gone because of that one thing that I happened to mess up on or not do well in or not complete. And, and I look at that story because that happened a lot when I was cleaning, when I was doing chores, and, and I look at the way I view God. Oftentimes, God has done so much for me, and I say this time and time again, even if starting today, God does absolutely nothing for me, I still owe God my life and thankfulness to the day I die. I believe that. And, and yet, I oftentimes treat God uh, like my childhood, where I'm like, God, I know you've done this, 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 this for me. You've provided for me. You've done this for me. You, you've given me favor. You've blessed me. At the end of the day, uh, what I need to look to is the cross and the work that you've done on the cross. We celebrate that on Easter as we celebrate Lent that's coming up. And yet there's one thing that's going wrong in my life. And now, God, are you there? God, are, do you really love me? God, are you real? And again, this is not to diminish the experiences. Believe me. I'm not diminishing uh, experiences that cause pain, and I think that's things that we need to work through and address. And, and oftentimes, and a lot of the times, it requires somebody to intervene. Maybe professional help, maybe Medicaid. I don't know what it is for you, but there's no stigma. There's nothing against that. God, I believe it's the blessing that God provides. For sometimes our bodies being wired uh, differently or, you know, with, with whatever mental illness that we have. I, I think that God allows, well, I know that God allows people to step in and help. And so I'm not diminishing real life issues that we wrestle with. Believe me, I've done it too. But for some reason, I can't ignore this. Where it says the peace of God that Mary had chosen the right thing. And in the midst of our anxiety, the shalom that God gives us, no one can take away. God's provision in the past helps us to have confidence for God's provision for us in the future. Rejoice in the Lord always because of that. It says, I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. God is near. Paul didn't just, just throw that in there like, oh, the Lord is near. Paul is saying, God is near. God is with you. God is for you. God goes before you. God goes in front of you. God goes behind you. And oftentimes we have a hard time believing this because we're so distracted by our circumstances. And yet Paul reminds us the Lord is near. And then he says, in order to help you pursue gratitude, if you're going to dwell on anything, if you're going to set your mind or fix your eyes on anything, do this. He says in verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace, that's the promise. Think about these things. He says, think. 
And the original Greek word is not just, oh, just have it pop up in your mind. Uh, the word think actually resonates with this idea of uh, dwell, to fix our hearts and our eyes, to be attached to something. So think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is holy, those are the things that you should dwell on. The ways that God has already loved you. The, God, uh, the ways that God has already provided for you. The, maybe it's right now. Maybe God is providing for you some incredible things in your life right now. Can we sit back and say, thank you? Or do we say, well, now I want more. Now I want this. Again, this isn't to diminish the things that should cause us fear and anxiety. That's our body's response, uh, proper response, really, to be wise. But there are times where it's unhealthy. There are times where it's unwise. And those are the times where it divides our hearts. When the answer, according to Scripture, and I believe this, is that sitting at the feet of Jesus, surrendering, and finding peace that only God can provide. Again, it doesn't mean to ignore or push things under the rug. But the question is, what do you dwell on? Will you let your circumstances define you? That's gratitude. Secondly, it's courage. And here's what I mean by courage. It's courage to pray with faith and with hope. Love it. It says, uh, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Courage to pray with faith and hope. And I truly believe this because of my own experiences. How you pray determines how you think about God. How you pray actually, actually determines how you think about God. And, and here's what I mean by that. A few weeks ago, I had a friend uh, who deals with chronic knee issues. Uh, and we went over there, and there's a few pastors and I, you know, we just get together, uh, and it's one of the pastors, actually, and he was dealing with some chronic knee issues, and we put his, you know, we put his knee on a chair, and we gathered around him, uh, and we just prayed over his knee. Uh, and I know some of you guys are like, yeah, that's what pastors do, right? They just get together and just pray over people. Uh, no, that's not always what we do, but we happen to do this because he was in severe pain. And I remember praying, and we were all praying, and, you know, we're taking turns praying, and I prayed, uh, God, uh, you know, if it's your will, would you heal my friend? You know, it, like, uh, whether you heal him or not, God, will you just do this if, if you want? Uh, and, and although that's proper, you know, because really God's in control. God will do what God wants to do. If God wants to heal, God will heal. If God doesn't want to, for whatever reason, God won't. That's the reality of it. But I stepped back. When I went home, I'm like, why did I pray that? Why did I pray like that? And it was like I was giving, I, as me, was giving God an out, right? It's almost like I didn't trust God enough to actually heal my friend. And so I was like, God, uh, heal my friend. But if it doesn't happen, we know that it's because you have a bigger plan or if it's not, it's not your will. And, and although there's reality to that, my prayer lacked courage, it lacked any type of trust. I actually, maybe in my mind, if I'm being really vulnerable and honest with you guys, I didn't actually think that God was going to heal his knee or believe that he can do it. Although, you know, internally, yes, of course I believe that. But at the time, I was like, God, here's your out. 
you know, just in case it doesn't happen, I want to save face, right? I want to I protect your reputation just in case it doesn't happen. So God, if it's your will, please heal him. How many of us pray like that? It says, don't be afraid to ask. All over scripture, don't be afraid to ask. Pray with authenticity. Pray with hope. Pray with courage that God will intervene and actually step in and do something. It might not be in your own time. It may not be the exact way you want it to happen. But when we have courage to pray, it's also saying, I have courage to believe that God, you are going to move and do something. And what that does, it helps us be less divided because we know that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that Christ will never let us down. And that peace that comes with that is unbreakable. Something that will never be taken away. So I encourage you, pray with courage. Pray with authenticity. Pray with, with, with honesty. Some of you guys will ask, well, what does prayer mean? What does it look like to pray? And simply, it's just talking to God. And, and, you know, this is a funny story that I love sharing is uh, several years ago, I did a, a mission trip to uh, Florida, Daytona Beach to be exact. Uh, I know, rough, rough life, but somebody was called, you know, there was a calling and I had to do it. Uh, and my job was to work at a juvenile detention center uh, and where it was high-level high security. And I was talking to, you know, some teenagers, 18, 17, 18 years old, that were, that was, a lot of them were being awaited, waiting to go to the adult prison. And one uh, student, one kid, really, that I was talking to, was 17 years old, getting ready to be transported in a couple of years to the adult prison uh, for attempted murder of his mother. So we were talking, uh, and, you know, he grew up in a rough life. He was in a gang, and, you know, he was dealing with family issues. We're just talking about God and saying, you know what, God God forgives you. I know that you, uh, you know, have gone through so much and you've done this or that, whatever, and you have so much guilt and you have so much shame, but that's the radical forgiveness of God. Will you, I was like, will you pray with me? Like, and if you want to pray, you can pray too. Like, but will you pray with me? I'll pray for you. And he says, I don't know how to pray. And I said, well, just pray like you would talk to anybody. Pray like you would talk to your friends. It's like, are you, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. You know, so I prayed, and I was like, God, you know, you know, come into his life. And it's like, it's just like talking to a friend. I was like, give it a shot. He's like, okay. And he's like, uh, dear, he didn't know what to do. He's like, hold his hand. He's like, dear God. And I was like, just tell him, you know, what you're going through. And he was like, God, things are just so beep. Like, he was just cussing up a storm. Like, things are so effed up, man. Things are so messed up, and man, I'm a piece of blue. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know if lightning was going to strike. I was like stepping over. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was going home, and I was like, in a weird way, that was authentic prayer. And he wasn't afraid. He just talked to God the, new, the way that he knew how to talk to people. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the way that I would pray, or maybe it wasn't the way that you would pray, but it was honest. And it was this sense of childlike faith. Like he somehow didn't understand the complexities of it, didn't even really understand God, but knew that there was a sense of peace that he was experiencing and the sense of anxiety was relieved because somehow this prayer, God, things are so messed up right now, I need your help, will actually matter. That God would actually listen 
That's the courage that this kid had. Courage to, to pray and with full confidence, with full authenticity. God can handle it. Are you mad at God right now? Are you, is your heart divided? Are you anxious because things aren't going your way in whatever reason? And are you angry with God? God can handle it. Be angry with God. It's okay. It's okay because I know that God will reveal God's self to you and bring peace and honor. Honor your authenticity, your transparency. God can handle it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. The Lord, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. God is near. You can remember the things that God has already done to give you hope. Not make you happy, but bring you joy. Not fix everything, but give you strength. Not change circumstances, but change your heart. So that in and through all circumstances, you can have hope. May you pray with courage. May you pray with transparency. May you pray and pursue God in the stillness of his feet with gratitude. And remember, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up in our time of response. And I just want to reiterate some questions to you. Is your heart divided? I.e., are you facing anxiety? Well, what is it that is pulling you away from the feet of Christ? What is it that, is, that seems so unreconcilable? Will you think about those things? And will you surrender it to God this morning? Knowing that God will do something. Will you pray in the next few minutes with courage? Believing God will work in your life. And after you pray, I invite you to come to the table as we celebrate communion. This table is for everybody. All is welcome. Because on that last night, when Jesus was with his friends, he says, take this bread in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. And then he says, take this cup. Take, drink. This is my blood that was shed for you. And that cross is a reminder of just that. That on that cross, Jesus says these words. He says, it is finished. I love those words. He's, he says on the cross, he says, it is finished. And he says that in your circumstances right now. What's causing you division in your heart? What's causing you anxiety? Jesus says, it is finished. So I invite the ushers forward, uh, our communion servers, to serve you communion. And as you partake, believe that it is finished. Receive the peace, the shalom that God has to offer you.
You can pray, you can sing, you can partake when you're ready. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your love, for your care, your compassion for us. We thank you for your work on the cross. We enter into a season where we celebrate it, recognize it, name it, and claim it for our own lives. That on that cross, when you said, it is finished, you were talking about our anxiety, our worry, our uncertainties. That those things in our lives may not change. God, we ask that you change our hearts. That we can make the, the peace of God within us and live with it, live by it, live for it. So it makes the, the worst things bearable and even the best things leavable. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.